Cathedral Studios production. I'm Lewis. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And this is Living Communion. Welcome back to Living Communion. Uh, we're here at a very special juncture of the podcast. But before we get into that, let us begin with prayer. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This reading is taken from uh, the book of the prophet Isaiah. Is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed grow free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. We are at a very critical juncture in our podcast. We are here after weeks of foundations, after so many podcasts, building up to this moment, we begin our journey into the contemporary Catholic social tradition. And to lead us in this amazing journey, we'll kind of like turn on the journey or like furthering of the journey, will be Matt Flynn, who's gonna guide us in when did we begin this movement towards what we call the contemporary Catholic social doctrine. What gave this birth and how did it come into being? Yeah, thanks, Lewis. So uh, if you all recall from our, our last episode, we were talking about the Industrial Revolution and the impacts it had on society, on justice, on poverty, the some of the responses from the church. And um, what we have near the... Um, end of the 1800s, uh, the 19th century, uh, Pope Leo XIII issues um, something that had been unprecedented in, in the you know, previous centuries of, of the church. Um, and it's an encyclical letter um, called Reum Novarum. And it's written about what the church has to do how we respond, how we, how we are called to live and act and behave, to order our lives. It deals with economy, it deals with work. Um, it, it talks about justice. And um, this, this hadn't happened before. And this is the beginning of the, what's called Catholic social teaching or the Catholic social tradition or Catholic social doctrine. You'll hear different people refer to it as different in different ways, but um, it's, that is the, the beginning point and it, it happens and um, it changes the Catholic world um, in, in a way. Um, we, we had these principles before, you know, he, he's not, saying anything as we've been talking about that isn't based 
in our tradition. That's part of why we, we wanted to come up and, and start with our scripture foundations and the history of the church to show that this isn't new. It is a ongoing, as, as all of our doctrine is, it's ongoing development. As we, as we chew on things more, as the world changes around us, we start to see other implications for, for our teaching and God's revelation and how we're supposed to live it. And this starts um, the church, again, not on a new path, but it, it really furthers our, our action and our understanding of all the ways that, that we can be called to live this out in our lives. And so what we're going to be doing um, in our next um, kind of series in, in the podcast, if you want to kind of think about this as a season, we're beginning season two. Um, season one was the foundations. This is season two now. Um, we're, we're going to be talking about all the themes um, that really come out of the Catholic social teaching tradition um, within um, relatively the, the last not even completely 150 years, 130 something, you know, 100, basically 130 years, um, if, I, if I have my dates right. Um, so we're, we're looking at um, this <laughs> relatively recent period in history and, and all these themes and, and what they mean for us and, and how they call us to live. Um, and I, I think, um, to, to get us started on on the basics for that, uh, Mark's gonna give us a, a little bit of background. All right, so uh, I wanna begin with a quote from the document from the Synod of Bishops of 1971. This is from the introduction to their document called Justice in the World. The bishops wrote this. They said, action on behalf of justice and participation of the world fully appear to us as a constitutive dimension of the preaching of the gospel, or in other words, of the church's mission for the redemption of the human race and its liberation from every oppressive situation. So that term uh, constitutive was debated a lot before and after its inclusion in the document but the consensus seems to be that the word constitutive means that it is an essential, necessary part uh, of one's Christian calling is to do, is to do the work of justice. Uh, it, it is as important as believing that Jesus is the divine son of God. It is as important as uh, you know, believing in the Trinity. It is, it, it, the difference is where those are matters of orthodoxy, this is a matter of Christian living or orthopraxis. Okay, this is the way, this is part of the calling of all Christians, not some, but all. So with that in mind, I want to give, a, say a few words about the Catholic uh, understanding of justice. And it's, it's different than the, uh, than, than the legal definition or legal understanding of justice because it is, it is based on, here's point number one, it's based on relative rights and mutual responsibilities. So 
not all rights in within the system are are absolute. They are they're relative. Simple example. Human beings have the right to own property, but the right to own property is not absolute. It is relativized by the uh, need of all people, the right of all people to use the good things of the earth. And it's based on mutual responsibilities. Everyone has, uh, has their own set of responsibilities in terms of the achievement of social justice. So justice, first of all, is relational and it's mutual. Second point, justice in the Catholic scheme of things is more than just not interfering with the rights of others. It is proactive. It involves duties, action to A, for three reasons. First, to help people in need. Second, to promote and maintain the common good. And third, to create institutions that promote mutuality and respect. So justice is not reactive or passive. It is very proactive. Third, it's based on the belief that human beings are social by nature. That's a, that's a critical uh, point of it. And that all people are united by the Christian bond of agape love. Now, that's an important principle because it says two things. It says, first of all, it's based on reason. The belief that humans are social by nature is something that comes to us from Aristotle, from Thomas Aquinas. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a philosophical principle. But at the same time, the Catholic understanding of justice um, is based on the uniquely, or I shouldn't say uniquely, but the especially Christian bond of agape love. So uh, Catholic social justice teaching is based on faith and reason. It's a combination of both. Fourth principle, justice affects, or I'm sorry, it respects the infinite dignity of every human as a creature of God made in God's image. That's something that we'll get into in depth uh, in, a, in a coming episode. Fifth, justice calls for the creation of a society that allows every person to fulfill herself or himself. That allows every person on the earth to maximize their God-given potential. But for what purpose? for the good of all, to promote the common good, not just for self-aggrandizement, but for the promotion of the common good. And uh, what needs to be emphasized in, in regard to this principle is that uh, this is not an ideal of justice. This is not something that we look up to the mountaintop and say, wouldn't it be great if that's the way it were? This is a moral obligation. This is something that's binding upon uh, upon Christian believers. It's not optional, <laughs> okay? Um, all right, so then sixth, persons are able to fulfill themselves, as I just mentioned in principle number five, persons are able to fulfill themselves only when their basic human rights are guaranteed. Those basic human rights, which we will discuss in a future uh, podcast, are life itself, food, housing, healthcare, employment, and others. These rights are foundational. These are the bare minimum. These are the bare minimum that every human being has the right 
to expect simply because they showed up on planet Earth. Okay. Uh, yeah. For, for no other reason. All right. Um, so, and, and here's the seventh and last point. And uh, it's something that I've already uh, uh, mentioned just briefly. Catholic, the Catholic understanding of justice is based on both the Christian gospel and on human reason, human reason as embodied in the natural law, or the, at least the Catholic understanding of the natural law. So what does that mean? What that means is that you, we do not have, or a person does not have to be a Christian in order to be subject to the obligations of social justice. All human beings are bound by the moral obligations of social justice because it's based not just on, 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 on the, the command of Christian love, but also on uh, the, uh, uh, the belief, uh, the, the rational belief, the philosophical belief in human dignity and human rights, okay? And the fact that we are social creatures by nature. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go there. I, I can, uh, in, in, in a few minutes, I can, after, after Matt, you know, uh, leads us to the next point, I want to just talk, I will talk briefly just about the different types of, of justice, commutative, distributive, and, and social justice. As we, as we move in this journey, that listening to this podcast, we're going to go over, we're not going to be, we're going to go be more thematic than historical, right? We're going to focus on these, but just imagine how all the things that have happened since the late 1800s and how it's clear how this new turn in the church is truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a development in the, in the approach to social questions. There's no doubt about it. And the church, this living tradition is in dialogue with the society around. Because like Mark, uh, Mark was saying, it's important to realize that human beings by nature are connected to each other. And this is something that was understood in the past also. But in this time period, you have a lot of philosophical movements that are really trying to emphasize this reality. And that's happening concurrently with the church's kind of inspiration of approaching social questions in a new way. And we see that throughout the whole 19, 1900s or the 20th, uh, 20th century, really, this move towards understanding the subjective dimension of human personhood and how people are in relationship, mutual uh, uh, subjectivity, intersubjectivity, how people, you can't just put somebody in an individual silo. And I think that's critical when you're hearing these themes to understand that this is a very central aspect of the paradigm of Catholic social. That's right. At the same time, though, Lewis, I think it's important to point out that Catholic, uh, Catholic teaching on justice runs against the grain of uh, growing individualism, of the growing movement toward individualism. That's been taking place over the last couple of hundred years. And so it's really, it's really swimming upstream when it talks about, uh, you know, when it talks about the mutual obligations and duties that, that uh, persons have toward each other because we're social creatures. Yeah, great, great thoughts from, from both of you. Glad, glad I let Lewis interrupt. Um, so I've, I've got a couple follow-on thoughts for, for what Mark said as well, and then we'll, we'll move to kind of the, the next topic I wanted to um, broach on this. The first thought is when Mark was talking about um, orthopraxy and how 
living justice is essential um, to how we live our faith. Um, if you've been listening to our previous episodes, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. Um, you know, we, we talk about living communion and, and how we, we live our, our Eucharistic calling and, and our, our life as followers of Christ. Um, and I, I think it's worth repeating something we mentioned in one of our earlier episodes about how salvation is about restoring us um, to our, our former kind of created um, glory, um, bringing, bringing us back into right relationship um, so that we, we are able to, one, see how we were supposed to live in Jesus, who, who perfectly represents what, what human life should look like and, and how he loves selflessly. Um, and, and we're, we're called to, to do that. And, and we have to care about one another and, and worry about the needs of each other. If, if we're going to live in this redeemed, sanctified, saved, um, state of life, um, that's part of salvation. It, it's, if you think about holiness, use the word wholeness as well. And it's not just wholeness as in personally that I'm, I'm at peace, I'm unified, I have like an, a personal integrity uh, of spirit and, and personhood. It's about the wholeness for, for the world. Christ came to heal the world, our broken world, each and every one of us as individuals and as a society. And, and to do that, we have to look up for one another and take care of each other. And that means worrying about whether or not people are being treated justly and, and working to make sure that they are. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of piggyback on, on uh, Lewis um, talked about how we, we see and respond as the church. And that was actually where I was going with my next set of remarks. So thank you, Lewis. Uh, so why, why wasn't Rayom Novarum enough? We, we have this encyclical and it introduces, you know, how we're, we're supposed to be living in light of um, you know, all these changes in society and how, how you know, we, we need to make some changes. And, but the world keeps changing. Um, and so over the years, especially as change has accelerated in the world in, in many ways, um, the situations that, that people are faced with, we, we've had to keep having more um, clarification, more, more development. And this um, tradition has continued to grow. And that's a, a beautiful thing, I think, because um, it, it shows that our concerns um, are not stagnant, that we have to really be in tune with the world in order to live um, a integrated life and to ensure that others can live an integrated life. There's a saying um, that you should read the, you know, read the Bible and the newspaper. You know, you have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you have to bring scripture, bring, um, you know, our, our faith to the world. Um, and you have to bring the questions of the world and the situation of the world to our faith and say, what do we do about this? How am I called to respond to this? Um, you know, there has to be this back and forth. So um, over the, the course of the last 130 years, we've had this 
um, ongoing development of the tradition as things have changed. Um, you know, obvious examples, the development of nuclear weapons, um, you know, that on its own requires a whole new set of conversations. Um, and it did. Um, so that's, that's part of why we, we have all these documents that, that are great resources for reflection and thought. And some of them deal with different things um, because of different things that were going on in the world at that time. Right. Yeah. The very here's a simple example from Rerum Novarum itself that uh, you know it, in it Pope Leo calls for a just wage. Now, justice, you know, up until that time, very you know, up until the, the years immediately preceding Rerum Novarum, justice called for. Uh, persons to have a su sufficient amount of property in order to, uh, to fulfill themselves. But the Industrial Revolution changed that by shifting people from you know, farming and self-subsistence to a wage-based economy. And so in, in light of that, uh, uh, Leo calls for a just wage. In other words, the, the payment of enough uh, uh, of money so that uh, a, a family and so that uh, you know human beings can fulfill themselves. It's the same principle, but now applied to a changing circumstance. What's so critical about that, you bringing that point out and us talking about this, is that it challenges us to realize that when we have questions, when we are attempting to approach social questions that we may run into this, if this is something that you know, you're listening to this podcast right now, you should understand that the world will continue to change <laughs> and the church will continue to be in dialogue with that changing world. So a lot of people, you know, we we are obviously referencing tradition because tradition is critical and gives us the foundations. But the society around us has made such rapid changes, even since the 1800s, that I can guarantee you, like even in 30 years from now, we're going to have a radically different <laughs> set of questions and, uh, and thought processes and things like that. We take questions of like wage for granted. That was not for granted. Like these, these were not, this was not as widespread as it is now. Now it's essentially the complete norm um, for most people. So, I mean, we have to realize that these economic and social realities change. And so the church does not propose a static model from some time period in history and say, this is the Catholic approach in, in as it relates to some social questions due to the reality that we're in a relationship with the world that is constantly changing and developing as whether it's science, technology, whether it's economic circumstances, social circumstances. I mean, we've had such great shifts. So when we look at Catholic social doctrine, really it should give us great hope and rejoicing that, that God's leading the church, speaking to, to principles that, again, in advance of all the most radical changes, I mean, radical changes were happening then, but I mean, it's unspeakable compared to what we've had in the 30 years, uh, almost, even, you know, it's just, it's crazy. But it's important to, re to recognize that these are principles that their application in whether it be in your personal action, application in law and politics, these things will also shift and develop and change depending on the, the specific circumstance. So these principles that we'll start to discuss in the following episodes are kind of these principles that you can take and then you will have to apply them, which is a different step, right? <laughs> it's a step that requires dialogue with the realities of the time, the economic situation, the social context and, and relative questions to that. 
and prudence and the other virtues in approaching them and applying them. So the church does not offer, and this is a famous quote, the church does not offer technical answers um, to certain questions. So this is, so Catholic social doctrine is not necessarily a set of policies per se, but it should be a set of guide of, of like it should be a, a set of principles that are pre-political principles in the sense that they are before partisan desires or hopes that should guide how we act in a social context on various That's levels. Right. That's right. At the same time, it's expected that those principles will be uh, enacted into policy and law yes. depending on specific situations. So the situation in Bolivia might not be the same as the situation in, uh, in Greece yeah. or in England, but the same principles apply to both of those situations. Yeah, and I, I think that's another helpful point to keep in mind. You know, as we're talking about the development of Catholic social doctrine and its um, principles, we have to keep in mind, this is a teaching for the entire world. You know, we can kind of think about our own context in our own country and say, well, what does that exactly mean? What? And we have to realize that this is for the whole world. And so some parts of the documents may apply more particularly to some areas of the world than others based on what's going on in them. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention is that you know, when we're, we're talking about Catholic social teaching and, and tradition, we, we really need to remember um, it, it's, it was developed in Latin America and it's a, a way of um, analyzing and addressing and knowing how to respond to a situation. It's become more and more popular in the church as a whole and it, the basic paradigm, you, you can expand it, is to, to see, to judge, and to act. Um, and this goes hand in hand with you know, what we were talking about earlier, knowing what the situation is. Um, but we, we need to assess what is going on through the eyes of faith, through prayer, through conversation with others, to, to have a clear idea of what is going on, especially the people who are most harmed by the situation, the, the victims, the marginalized. We, we need to see the situation for what it is. We need to judge it, um, you know, analyze it, say what, what is really going on? What are the problems? Um, and, and how can we address them? And then we act. We, we, respond. We, we put these ideas, these um, um, theories, whatever, that, you know, how, how we can make this better into action. And then we start over. We say, okay, how did that go? What are we seeing now? And we just continue that process as we work to, to build um, a better world. And I think when, when we're talking about, um, you know, these principles, um, you know, we we were talking about them being, you know, I think Lewis used the word pre-political. And I wanna I wanna take even a, a further step and say that they are simply principles um, because they apply to politics, they apply to business, they apply to social relationships. If you have a club, um, you should worry about, you know, how some of these things apply to your club. 
um, because they're about how we live in society, how we treat one another, how we care about the concerns of our fellow human beings. Um, and that affects every aspect of life. Um, and I, I think sometimes Catholic social teaching gets pigeonholed into the political category. And it does have very um, political dimensions in the sense that it has repercussions that you were talking about for how we should do politics to begin with. Mm. Um, what, what should be our foundations? Um, and again, you can, you can have discussions and very deep and, and helpful discussions on exactly what is the best way to carry out these in society. And sometimes you both, you know, both sides have a, a good answer and the answer is, okay, let's do them both. <laughs> you know, um, cause we catch more flies with more nets. Um, you know, but, um, before any of that, it's just about how we live life. Um, that is, that is the basic, and um, again, it's a constitutive element of how we live the gospel. Um, and so it, I mean, it applies to missionary activity in the church. <laughs> you know, it's part of our missionary activity in the church. Right. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say that St. John Paul II, you know, talking about the new evangelization, which happens obviously uh, in the late 19, well, in the mid to late 1900s. But when we talk about this, uh, he said that uh, Catholic social doctrine is a mean is a is a uh, is in itself a means of of furthering evangelization in the world, mm-hmm. and and there's so there's so many documents that make it clear that this is a part of evangelization. Both talking about Catholic social doctrine and living Catholic social doctrine are essential for the new evangelization. And case in point, just St. Pope Paul VI, who wrote a document that we may discuss in the future or touch on in the future called Populorum Progressio, Populorum Progressio on the Development of Peoples, also wrote Evangelii Nunziandi. Um, and you just think about how this type of paradigm, you know, like you have people who care about evangelization or people who care about making the world a better place or people who care, like that, that kind of paradigm is simply not, not Catholic. I mean, it's simply not really wrestling with the depth of the tradition which challenges us to say this is a lifestyle trying to live the gospel message like we're talking about is a is a life decision that touches on like matt was saying all areas of life from our individual personhood to our family to our community and our household to our everything to our uh, state or country setting um ethnic group and cultures the all these things are touched on by the gospel. Right. And really that's the light of Catholic social doctrine. Yeah. Um, and in many different ways and from many different respects. Yeah, there's even the global, you know, the global perspective. Yeah, and the global, you know, of course, that's a very important. You know, the, the universal common good, the global, you know, we, we as uh, Christians uh, need to be concerned about the, the good of the world. Is the, is the world becoming more just because of what we're doing? Are we working to make the world you know, more just, not just our little piece of the world. I, I, I'd like to add just a couple of, uh, you know, uh, other comments, if I could, about, you know, uh, I was defining justice and just a couple of uh, different uh, distinctions about types of justice in the Catholic tradition. So 
uh, it begins with uh, commutative uh, justice. This is the one that we're probably most familiar with and the one that we deal with you know, most of all on a daily basis. Commutative justice is just the exercise of justice between either individuals or, or small groups. So, you know, commutative justice involves things like honoring your contracts and, and agreements, you know, uh, paying for the things that we buy, <laughs> paying our debts, you know, living up to the terms of contracts, things like that. That's commutative justice between, between you and me. The next level of that is distributive justice, which says that all persons have a claim to public or social goods. Notice that all persons have a claim to these public goods. What are they? Uh, all, all persons have a claim to the to fertility of the earth, uh, to the productivity of the economy, uh, to the benefits of uh, health care and social insurance. That's just that's distributive justice. So distributive justice says that the society and the state, the state here meaning the nation, have an obligation to guarantee this level of participation in the common good. It is the duty of societies and, and states, nations, to guarantee that all persons have the ability to share in the, the fecundity of the earth and the benefits of the economy and all, all of those kinds of things. And then that broadens even more to social justice. And this is where I, you know, I think there, there tends to be a lot of misunderstanding about exactly what social justice is. Social justice is simply this. It's the creation of institutionalized patterns of mutual action that bring about the realization of distributive justice. Let me just, <laughs> that's a mouthful. Let's <laughs> break that down a little bit. So it's the creation of institutionalized patterns. By that, the church means laws and policies, okay? Those are institutionalized patterns. So justice is to be embodied in law and in policy, but institutionalized patterns of Mutual action, mutual action means the exercise of rights by, by everyone and also the exercise of responsibilities by everyone. So, you know, rather than considering, uh, you know, those who live in poverty as only having rights, no, those who live in poverty have, have rights for sure, which often go unheeded, but uh, persons living in poverty also have responsibilities to exercise, to fulfill their rights, to build upon the exercise of their rights in order to fulfill themselves. In other words, justice is not paternalistic. Justice is not what those who have do for those who don't have. Justice is mutual. Uh, justice is what we do with people. Uh, whose whose uh, rights and responsibilities uh, are, you know are, do not obtain. Okay, so then th this these these institutionalized patterns of mutual action. What's their goal? They bring about the realization of distributive justice. They make sure that everyone has the right to share in the goods of the economy, to share in the goods of the earth, to share in the benefits of 
you know, healthcare, social insurance, or, uh, wage earning, all, all of those kinds of things. And so in that sense, and this comes from David Hollenbach, who wrote about this, social justice, he calls a political virtue. And that does, he doesn't mean that in the sense that it's a partisan virtue. He means that it's political in the sense that it builds up the polis. It builds up the, the human community at, at all levels. That's what that's what justice does, and that's why he calls it uh, a, a political virtue. So, you know, it, to, to, you know, to summarize, social justice is about to put it in its in its you know uh, bare bones and put it in bare, bare bones terms is about creating laws and policies that guarantee that everyone has the ability to exercise their basic human rights. And everyone has the responsibility to fulfill their basic responsibilities to each other. Uh, very informative and very powerful. I really like, <laughs> at first when you laid out that definition, I was like, we're about to unpack this because this is, <laughs> there was a lot there in that definition. I was like, but I think this is critically important because, you know, in the, in, in the tradition, justice was talked about in certain ways and we've seen a growth in the use of the term social justice, both in church in church documents and also in society. Clearly, we have had this has become a critical conversation. And many um, Catholics, uh, well, not many, some Catholics uh, push back against the use of the term social justice for a variety yeah. of reasons. But I think it's important that we as Catholics understand that this is a part of our tradition to talk about justice at many different levels, including the society level. And when we talk about laws and policies. This is the way that, that society is structured through policies and institutions are governed by or through laws and institutions are governed by policies. This is simply just how it right. goes. So a lot yeah. of people get turned off by, oh, policies, oh, laws. Like it's like as if it's like, you know, this like dangerous thing to not talk. But this is the reality. We, it's part yes. of life. And, and, and law and policy is the embodiment of our values. And so if we, if you if we want to see what a particular society, American society, whatever, if you want to see what our values are, look at the way we codify them in law and in policy. And then we that we can use that as a measure of how just our society is, just how far we've come in in uh, in uh, uh, assuring the common good or working toward the common good. And that's that's how laws and policies should be judged. That's the merits upon which they should be judged. How do they promote the rights and responsibilities of, of all human beings? And how do they promote the common good? Yeah, I, I think I'll just add one comment and then we're going to go to takeaways. Um, yeah. my, my comment is, is simply that um, if, you, if you are uncomfortable with or, or don't like the term social justice, um, learn what the Catholic Church really means by social justice. And then when you meet someone who's using social justice and the way they use it is confusing for you, or it seems to mean something else, sit down and say, what do you mean by it? Um, and try to understand where they're coming from. And then ask if they'd be willing to hear how you understand what social justice is. And see where that conversation goes. Be willing to listen to them and then see if they're willing to listen to you. Um, you know, at, at the worst, you learn about what someone else what someone else believes, and at the best, maybe you help them see the world a little bit different. Um, 
So for, for takeaways, my, my takeaway is, you know, we were talking about this see, judge, and act, and how this has to be not just an individual, but, but group and, and community endeavor. And I think we're really bad at this in our country. Um, I'll just say that. I think we're, we're pretty bad at it in our churches, too, at least our, the churches I've been in. And I, I work in a church, and I would love it if people came up to me and said, I, I'm confused by this, or I want to know how to respond to this. Is there a way that we can talk about this in a group in our parish? And if five people came up to me and said that, I'd be able to get those five people together and say, you all want to talk about this. Let's talk about this. Um, you know, so be willing to have a conversation and be willing to let someone you know in your faith community your priest, someone who works in, in the parish and ministry, um, you know, you're attached to, to you know, some other, you know, Catholic group or organization, like a Newman Center or something like that, you know, talk to someone there and say, I want to talk about this. How are we called to respond to this as Catholics? And I want to hear what other people say. I want to, I want to really get my, my head around this and get my hands dirty in, in trying to do something about it. Um, so that's my my takeaway is find something that's a problem in society that you want to address that you whether or not you understand it or what needs to be done and bring it to others in your in your church community um, if you don't have a church community in people you respect people of faith people of goodwill whoever they may be, say let's talk about this. Um, and let's decide how we can address it and let's learn about it and grow. Um, and that's hard because what we've been taught by our society is to find people who are angry about it as well on our social media pages and be angry together. Now that's a stereotype and I know not everyone acts that way, but that is poisoning our public conversation that more and more people fall prey to this, at least in some areas. And we need to learn how to have these conversations together because we won't be able to work for justice effectively if we can't do that. So that's my takeaway. I, th I think my takeaway would be uh, this, you know, um, and, and this is, I guess, a, a challenge to our, our listeners is to think about uh, social justice as something quite different from the work of charity. Uh, you know, I, I, I've uh, talked to people about social justice. I've taught it in, in different courses. And invariably, the conversation moves very quickly from uh, justice to charity. Uh, you know, so it, it becomes, you know, giving more to the food bank or, you know, you know donating more to the you know, Vincent DePaul Society. Those things are great. Those things are needed, but they're not the work of social justice. The work of social justice is, as we were just talking about, the embodiment of, uh, of rights and responsibilities in law and policy. So social justice affects the way we vote. It affects the way we talk to people. It affects the way we think about different issues and things like that. So it's, it, as important as charity is in, our, in, in, in the Christian life, 
it's not enough. And I would just follow up that comment with uh, this, you know, the USCCB, um, when I was working in collaboration with them in this area, gave us a bunch of these documents. And one of them was uh, the two feet of love and action, the classic uh, situation taken. They, they create this document taken from uh, Benedict XVI's uh, Deus Caritas Est and Caritas and Veritate because they were old documents that they made. But that was so as back when Pope Benedict XVI was still um, the active pope. But um, this two feet of love and action is charity and social justice. And taken from the documents of Benedict XVI, he says we need both of these feet to really uh, bring about a civilization of love because there's different orders in which we can uh, apply kind of our calling to create a just temporal order. And they require, you know, these two feet. And so many, and this is the typical thing, many Catholics are, are good at giving to food banks. This is like the Catholic supreme skill is food banks. <laughs> and that's good. We got to keep that up because trust me, people need it. But yep. um, like Mark was saying, it's clear that we have to also take up this other part of our uh, calling. If you go in the compendium, the compendium even talks about people need to get formed to go and engage in political life. That's what the compendium says that lay people need to do as like they need to do this because of the fact that we, our faith is critically like we, if we really believe that, you know, we're formed by this faith and we have these, we have to seek the, the common good, the good of all people. And that requires action on their behalf. So I would just say, to, to contemplate, uh, pray a Hail Mary for us, for real, but also contemplate uh, these two feet of love in action for this week. Contemplate the foot of charity and the foot of just social justice and recognize that as Catholics to really embody and live love in the world, we have to have these two feet of love, these two feet of love in action, um, as was uh, taken from the documents of Benedict XVI, who comes much later in the story. But, <laughs> but that is uh, for later. Thank you so much for joining us here at Living Communion. We're so grateful to have you and to start on this journey in the contemporary social tradition with you. Share this podcast and uh, like and subscribe and all those great things. Thank you for being with us. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a comment there. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for Living Communion. This has been a Cathedral Studios production.